the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. February 18th, 2021. Fox News reports that President Biden's COVID-19 relief package would put $128 billion into K-12 public schools to help them deal with coronavirus pandemic. But the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office estimates that just $6 billion of those dollars would flow to schools this year. The CBO estimates that the number would increase to $32 billion in 2022 and 2023, respectively. The rest of the money would be paid out through 2028, according to a cost estimate released earlier this week. The comparatively small outlay for fiscal year 2021, which runs through only September of this year, is expected because previously allocated money has not yet been spent. Congress previously approved $31 billion for education relief in March, an additional $82 billion for education relief in December. Now, just to give you an idea of scale, consider for a moment that the entire annual budget for the U.S. Department of Education is about $70 billion. Meanwhile, how interested are schools in even reopening? Let me rephrase that. Since schools don't think, how interested are education professionals in reopening? Fox reports that the San Francisco Unified School District postponed Tuesday's scheduled talks this week on how to safely reopen classrooms, despite an ongoing lawsuit by the city attorney's office, opting instead to work on the renaming of 44 of the city's public schools. The school board and district have had 10 months to create a plan and join the city's more than 110 private schools that have reopened since last September. But instead, the Board of Education focused on renaming 44 schools they believed were offensive for their representation of, of course, white supremacy. Schools named after historical and currently prominent figures like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and even Dianne Feinstein have been slated for the chopping block for their connections to slavery, genocide, and colonization. Feinstein being such a colonizer, of course. The decision is estimated to cost between $400,000 to $1 million to change school signs, uniforms, insignia, and the like. Boy, do I hope we have a watershed waking moment for parents about what their tax dollars are paying for and what their education professionals care about. James Bovard writes... Americans have been shocked by how teachers' unions have blocked school reopenings in many states despite the disastrous learning lag during this pandemic. In Montgomery County, Maryland, unreliable distance learning produced a more than 500% increase in the number of black and Hispanic students failing classes. McKinsey consultants estimated that if the shutdown continues to the end of the school year, students of color could be 6 to 12 months behind due to lost learning compared with four to eight months for white students. But teachers' unions are claiming that, unlike the vast majority of other American workers, 
their members are entitled to risk-free environments. Unions have vilified any politician or parent who has sought to reopen schools. The Chicago Teachers Union proclaimed, quote, the push to reopen schools is based in sexism, racism, and misogyny, close quote. Of course, of course, of course. Joe Biden owes his election victory in part to the teachers' unions. And a week ago, the White House rejected the recommendation to reopen schools from Biden's appointee as director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Rochelle Walensky. And on Friday of last week, last week, the CDC issued new guidance for school safety during the pandemic. As NPR observed, quote, rather than a political push to reopen schools, the update is a measured, data-driven effort to expand on old recommendations, close quote. One of the clearest lessons of this pandemic is that politicians will always be able to find data to justify whatever restrictions or delays they favor. With or without the CDC recommendations, honesty and shutdowns remains as unlikely as zero COVID, Bovard writes. Recent magazines, Matt Welch predicts that CDC's new reopening guidance will keep schools closed in the fall. During the presidential campaign, Biden pledged to reopen schools within 100 days of taking office. But now Biden is betraying that office. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said last week that the Biden goal of reopening schools within 100 days will be satisfied if 50 percent of schools are open a minimum of one day a week. The cloud of the teachers unions has become far more perilous during the COVID-19 pandemic. Schools have perennially behaved as if they were entitled to waste kids' time, and now teachers' unions feel entitled to practically waste a year of children's lives. When lockdowns were first being imposed in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo proclaimed a standard that guided many lawmakers, saying, quote, if everything we do says just one life, I'll be happy. Teachers' unions have rallied around a similar motto. If one teacher dies, that's too many. But like most union-backed policies, this ignores the collateral damage on American children. Journal of American Medical Association analysis concluded that shutting down the schools would reduce the current crop of students' collective years of life by more than 5 million based on lower income, reduced educational attainment, and worse health outcomes. Private schools have safely reopened in many cities and states where government schools remain padlocked. As Wall Street Journal writer, editorial writer Bill McGurn wrote recently, Catholic schools prove you can keep classrooms open while keeping COVID-19 at bay, which gave teachers unions another reason to resent them. The good news is that COVID-19 has heightened awareness that too many kids are held in education limbo by public school systems that cannot put their students first because they are hostage to the union. Tom Carroll, superintendent of Catholic schools for the Archdiocese of Boston, observed, the science is clear that there is no substitute for in-person learning, especially for poor and minority children most at danger of falling behind. School systems are finally responding to outraged parents, but with sham school reopenings. After Maryland's Governor Larry Hogan ordered all of the state school systems to start in-person classes by March 1, the Montgomery County school system pretended to comply. Similar to the response in school systems in the Virginia suburbs, Montgomery will hire, where Montgomery will hire classroom monitors to oversee students sitting in desks while teachers remain absent from the classroom. A Maryland parents organization bitterly complained, quote, staring at a Chromebook while your teacher teaches on a screen is not in-person instruction, and it is frankly unacceptable. It is clear the school system does not want to embrace a true return to schools, close quote. 
One Montgomery County mother of two students groused that the new system sounds like glorified babysitting. Chicago, Chicago is suffering similar shenanigans. The city sought to placate teachers' unions by spending $100 million on personal protective equipment, disinfectant, ventilation improvement, and portable air purifiers. But then the teachers' union announced they could not return to work until all school employees were vaccinated. Mayor Lori Lightfoot groused that the teachers' union leadership left us with a big bag of nothing. President Biden endlessly appeals for unity while he sacrifices the interests of millions of children to his political supporters. CNN anchor Jake Tapper commented last week on Twitter, quote, I've yet to see any evidence the Biden administration disagrees with teachers unions, even when their own health officials are saying something different, close quote. Biden's tacit support of school shutdowns promises that in the coming years, his administration will sacrifice children in other ways to placate teachers unions. America will see a new achievement gap between privately educated students and those whose brains were offered up on the altar of teacher union power. One of the clearest lessons of the COVID-19 panic, pandemic is that the public employee unions cannot be trusted with children's minds. Parents and politicians should speedily move to maximize the number of students who can exploit vouchers to escape public schools and to repudiate laws and labor agreements that are helping blight a rising generation. Politicians continue kowtowing to unions. Parents must make their wrath felt or forfeit their children's future. As for me, I say start an Abraham Lincoln school in every city, given what San Francisco did, and start with the curriculum Lincoln gave himself as a self-educated man, an autodidact, if you will. His reading consisted almost entirely of three things, the King James Bible, Blackstone's lectures on English law, and Shakespeare. One could add founding documents as well. According to his best biographer, Lauren Charnwood, this according to a friend of mine, Lincoln, this humorist and public man, had a rare capacity for solitary thought. He was capable of great concentration, and when he wished to read, he did so, ignoring everything and everyone around him. Almost everything he read, he read aloud. When asked why, he said, when I read aloud, two sentences, two senses catch the idea. First, I see what I read. Second, I hear it, and therefore I can remember it better. No doubt, reading Shakespeare, Shakespeare also helped him make friends with the English language in a way no politician since has been able to, according to Peter Schramm. Maybe start a school like that in every city so we can get back to what education and schools really were meant for. As Leo Strauss put it, they were meant for the liberation from vulgarity. The Greek word for vulgarity was beautiful. Epirokalia, lack of experience in things beautiful. Liberal education supplies us with experience and things beautiful. That is, when it's at its best. It ain't there now, but that's the goal we should aim for. I'm Seth Leibson. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, 602-508-0960. Portions of the Seth Leapson Show are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I know I'm getting vital nutrients sourced from 31 fruits and veggies every day with my daily dose 
of balance of nature. It makes a huge difference in my life. It has for over a year now. I think it's the most potent and effective whole food supplement on the market. All natural vine ripened fruits and veggies picked at their peak of ripeness, third party tested for all kinds of impurities and additives, no sugar, no chemicals, no GMOs, great stuff from apples and blueberries to garlic and wheatgrass reduced into um, vegetarian capsules. And uh, you just take it once a day and you are good to go boosting your health, energy and immunity. They have a great deal right now. Free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. You'll be really glad you did. I'm going to turn to the children in a moment. First, I want to talk about the teachers and adults, the children, adults, the, the grown adolescents, if you will, the men and women children. I want to start with Simone Sanders. She was uh, unimpressive to me when she was the spokeswoman for the Bernie Sanders campaign. She was unimpressive to me when she was a commentator on CNN. She is now the press secretary to Kamala Harris and uh, assistant or associate communications director at the White House. She was on CNN yesterday talking about school reopenings. When you lose CNN... When you lose CNN, hello, when you lose CNN, including losing CNN as a former employer, you have a problem. Listen to the CNN anchor trying to pin Simone Sanders down on where the administration is on school reopenings. It's, it's not a trick question, and I feel like you guys have treated it like a trick question. I think people oh. just want to know what the White House position is on whether or not teachers have to be vaccinated for kids to return safely to school. The CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, says the science is that teachers don't necessarily have to be vaccinated for kids to return. And I think people want to know what the White House position is on that. The White House position is that uh, and the president and vice president believe that teachers should be prioritized for receiving the vaccination, along with other frontline workers. And in at least 22 states in the District of Columbia, that's exactly what's happening. Prioritize is one thing. And I think there's wide agreement they should be prioritized. And why not? Is it necessary, though? That's the question. It really is a yes, no question. Well, John, I think the real question, frankly, if I can be frank here, is what you're getting to is, is it safe for kids to go back to school? And the president it, it, and vice Actually president, not. In this case, that's not the question. The question is, is it safe for teachers to go back to school? And, that's, and, and that, that's a very specific question in this case. And again, I'm not sure. I don't understand why it's a hard question to answer. It, it may be that you want every teacher to be vaccinated. It may be the answer is, yeah, teachers should, if they can, be vaccinated before they return to school, but it's not necessary. Well, John, I think the president has been clear. The vice president has mm. been clear. And I think I was really clear just now that it is the administration's position. The president and vice president believe that teachers should be prioritized for vaccinations. And in 22 states, at least, and the District of Columbia, that's exactly what is happening. You know, uh, look. I'll try one last is... time. I'll try one last time. Does, okay, the president, does the president feel that that teachers have to be vaccinated in order for schools to, to open safely? Yes or no? The president believes that teachers should be prioritized for vaccination. His <laughs> right. wife, Dr. Biden, the first lady, is a teacher. He knows yeah. the importance of teachers being in the classroom. And where has the she been? 
Yeah, you lose CNN, you got you maybe have a you're beginning to have a problem. She gets away. She's trying to get away with what Joe Biden got away with on the campaign uh, during the campaign. The president and the vice president have been clear. She says when they haven't been, it's just it's very reminiscent, is it not, Bill? Is it not redolent of Joe Biden saying Hunter Biden's story has been thoroughly investigated? Oh, okay, thoroughly vindicated. Oh, okay. So all they now seem to think is. Has been clear uh, is the new phrase. HBC, I guess we're going to be starting that, right? Has been clear um, when it's anything but clear. Anything but clear. And where is Jill Biden? Remember when Whoopi Goldberg thought Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, would make a great Surgeon General until she was reminded that uh, the doctor is act- doctorate is actually an education doctorate, an EDD? But really, if she is a teacher, if she is an advocate for students, if she is an advocate for community colleges or anything else having to do with pedagogy and education, where has she been? Where has she been? It's um, it's an ongoing question that I hope gets more and more attention. We'll certainly bring it here uh, because right now it's clear as mud, as is the status of Andrew Cuomo, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. Well, you know, when Donald Trump was president, the media just loved him and the Democratic Party just loved him. And he was promoted at the Democratic National Convention. He got an Emmy Award. He wrote a book. And it looks like it turns out he may be the worst of governors when it comes to COVID. It looks like he may be the most actually criminal of governors when it comes to his handling of COVID, as the DOJ is now opening an investigation into cover covers up covers up by the Cuomo administration, Jeff Zucker at CNN has now forbidden Andrew's brother Chris from interviewing him on CNN like he used to do when things were riding high and all was fawning. Bill De Blasio is a member of Andrew Cuomo's political party. He was on um, with Mika Brzezinski this morning because Andrew Cuomo was alleged to have called four Democratic lawmakers and berate them and threaten them for trying to deprive him of emergency powers in the midst of this scandal. And Mika Brzezinski had Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, again a a fellow member of the Democratic Party, to ask his thoughts on whether this sounded like Andrew Cuomo could have been berating fellow Democrats, since Andrew Cuomo won't directly respond to it. Here's Mika and Bill de Blasio. So a senior advisor for Governor Cuomo says Kim is lying, that at no time did anyone threaten to destroy anyone with their wrath. I got to ask you, I don't want you to weigh in on on that uh, specifically, but you know, Governor Cuomo, you guys have jousted in the past. He says, uh, Kim says that he got this irate phone call that started out, are you an honorable man? And it went for 10 minutes of him yelling and then threats to publicly tarnish him. Is that... Have you ever heard of anything like that from Governor Cuomo? Has he have you ever spoken with him and anything like that happened? Yeah, it's a sad thing to say, Mika, but that's classic Andrew Cuomo. Um, A lot of people in New York state have received those phone calls. Uh, Where was that when the Emmy Awards were being nominated and awarded? Where was that when the book was becoming a bestseller? Where was that when he was the darling of the anti-Trump movement when it came to covid? Donald Trump is in trouble, evidently, 
for years for not speaking nicely. And the little known story until now is that Andrew Cuomo was worse and just denies it. Donald Trump was open about it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. One more piece of audio because it's precious. Then I want to return to the children, schools, and COVID in just a moment. But uh, got to give props to uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who I hope runs for president or vice president. Very, um, very much so in uh, 2024. I guess my dream ticket would be DeSantis, Noam, at this point. People can weigh in on theirs, too. She was giving a briefing yesterday. Actually, I think it was today. It was today. And, uh, you know, a reporter tried to get her, and she could not be gotten. Listen to this fabulous champion of common sense, science, and freedom. You've been re- resistant to uh, implement mask mandates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're skeptical of their efficacy at times. I never said that, Joe. Don't put uh, words in my mouth. Well, humor me here. What I've bit. said is the appropriate mask at the appropriate time utilized correctly and kept sanitary can make a difference. But I also don't believe it's my role to mandate that people wear a mask. Sure. I've left for the entire year it up to personal responsibility to make the best decisions for them and their families, and I'll continue to do that. So now that the CDC is recommending two masks... Well, the CDC has changed their recommendations many, many times. In fact, we've seen the CDC change their recommendations based on political pressure in the past. I choose to rely on science and data and facts, and masks can work in certain situations if you're wearing the right kind and you're doing it appropriately but I'm not going to mandate it. It's not an argument over whether masks work or if they don't work. I've never argued that. What I argue is the mandate. I think the mandate is inappropriate for government to come in and mandate that somebody wear a mask. And I think it's inappropriate for us to shame people who choose not to wear a mask. That's not what America is about, and it's not what South Dakota is about. So no double mask mandate coming? Not coming in South Dakota. So um, I will not be doing that, that's for sure. God love her. And the shaming. I'm glad she brought up the shaming because this is – I want to get to this point in a moment too. Actually, as long as I'm on it, I'll stay on it. We'll come back to the kids in a moment because David Harsani – we should get him on maybe tomorrow or something. He wrote a column about just this very thing. He was wondering what kind of mental toll these things were taking, even on extroverts. He says, at some point, distance becomes alienation. It's the realization not only that I haven't spoken to my immediate neighbors in nearly a year, but that we live in fear of each other. I never thought I'd want to attend one of those tedious block parties, chit-chatting about how fast the kids are growing up or gossiping about those fascists on the Neighborhood Association board, and yet now I do. I wouldn't mind an impromptu face-to-face chat at the communal mailbox or an exchange of pleasantries with other parents milling about after a high school concert or play. Nor is it merely about the obvious personal interactions. It's also about the derivatives of the ordinary social life, the trivial banter with a cashier, the smiles exchanged when walking past someone, the random snippets of conversation overheard when crossing paths with people, or even eavesdropping on them in a coffee shop or restaurant. Today, a waiter will take your temperature and stick you inside a plastic hazmat bubble on the sidewalk. 
we're often lectured about how wearing a mask is a preventive measure with no downside. This is a lie. The trade-off is considerable. Masks are at best a necessary evil. I mean evil in the most literal sense. They are dehumanizing, degrading. There's a good reason why misogynistic theocrats compel women to cover their faces. Masks should be worn with disdain and thrown in the garbage at the first possible moment, Harsani writes. Yet lately, experts talk about post-vaccine social distancing and mask wearing. Post-vaccine. Wear two of them, says Dr. Fauci. It's safer. It's repulsive to listen to politicians celebrating these pieces of cloth as if they were American flags. None of these elected officials has ever shown the same zeal for any of our liberties. After the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, Tampa Mayor Jane Castor warned maskless fans who were celebrating outside that they would be identified by law enforcement who would then handle the situation. It's frightening how quickly large swaths of a free society have acquiesced to such control. We'll be right back. By the way, I had a caller that was informing us that South Dakota, I think it was land, South Dakota, reopened its schools in September. They sure did. You want to know how many COVID deaths there were? In South Dakota, under the age of 19? I guess I should say under the age of 20. Yeah, what's your guess, Bill? That's the right answer. Zero. Zero. But let me go back to what Harsani was saying about adults adults and masking. I love this. I love this. Let me repeat. We're often lectured about how wearing a mask is a preventive measure with no downside. This is a lie. The trade-off is considerable. Masks are at best a necessary evil. I mean evil in the most literal sense. They are dehumanizing and degrading. And there is good reason why misogynistic theocrats compel women to cover their faces. Not long ago, a 15-second video taken inside a supermarket in Naples, Florida, went viral. In it, employees and customers, most of them appearing to be in their 60s and 70s, were going about their lives shopping chatting, bagging, no masks. The video made national news. The horror, cable hosts explained. Admittedly, after a year of social distancing, even watching this scene gave me some anxiety. kind of apprehension I now feel when actors shake hands or hug in a movie. Is this what's become of us? But I wasn't horrified. Maybe these Floridians were being reckless, but I was envious of their freedom. Maybe that's an irrational thought during a pandemic. Then again, Maybe it's irrational to live in constant fear. It is what it is, is the kind of thing the helpless usually say. I find myself saying it quite a lot these days. Social distancing, the writer Armin Rosen recently noted, is an oxymoron worse than a meaningless pair of words, an insult to language, horrible to even hear in your own mind. I agree with that. The words are meaningless, but the practice is damaging us to, in ways we might not comprehend. Good for you, David Harsani. Good for you. Let's go back to the schools for a moment. Bloomberg report yesterday, prolonged school closures look certain to result in long-lasting economic and psychological harm with deprived and marginalized groups affected most. 
The longer disadvantaged children are out of school, the less likely they are to return. According to UNICEF, kids from the poorest households are five times more likely to be out of primary school than those from the richest. Although children in low- and middle-income countries will be hardest hit, large inequities exist in wealthy countries, too. Estimates indicate that up to 10% of students in the U.S. have been disengaged for the better part of a year. Learning loss will probably be greatest among youth from low-income families and black and Hispanic students, exacerbating existing achievement gaps by up to 20%, McKinsey & Company reports. The consulting firm predicted U.S. students in grades K through 12 may lose an average the equivalent of a year of full-time work in lifetime earnings solely as a result of COVID-related learning losses. Black and Hispanic Americans would suffer the highest toll. This is supported by modeling at the University of Washington, UCLA, as well, and and who found that by not graduating high school, children may experience a lifetime of lower wages and disadvantage, and that prolonged missed instruction may reduce life expectancy. All of this least from my monologue, prompted Don, a listener in Phoenix, to write, they are creating an underclass. Charter and private schools are open since August. They are far and away ahead of public schools to start with, as most of them, not all, I have to point out. I don't even know if most, but a lot of them teach traditional curriculum and Stanford math. Imagine how far ahead they will be now. It's a good point. It's a good point. They're right. It's where the leaders and CEOs go to school. It's where the politicians send their kids to school. They're right about that. For those that complain about the deficiency in scores and the deficiency in outcomes between private charter on the one hand versus traditional public on the other, you are going to see that difference grow tremendously. Now, while I'm on this kick, let's talk about masks and children in schools. I owe Bill an apology because I heard about this study on the Dennis Prager show. My producer Bill and I have a a lot of ongoing little, what would you call it, quibbles, fights, preferences in how we go about things. And one of the things Bill likes to do, contra Abraham Lincoln, who reads out loud, as I said in my monologue, Bill listens at twice the speed. I guess there's a feature on his audio programs where you can double the speed. And that way he gets more in faster. I don't think he can capture it. I don't think he can, it can settle in. And we go back and forth on this all the time. And yet today it saved this show. Because I said I needed a study Dennis Prager was talking about. And... Um, on children and masks. And Bill said, well, we have just enough time for me to get to it if I listen to it double speed. And he did. So I owe him an apology. New study involving over 25,000 school-aged children shows that masks are harming school children physically, psychologically, and behaviorally, revealing 24 distinct health issues associated with wearing masks. This study reported in the Montana Daily Gazette, the health issues and impairments observed in the study were found to affect 68 percent. Think about that. 68 percent of masked children who are forced to wear a face covering for an average of four and a half hours per day. 
The study also includes 17,000-plus health complaints submitted by parents. Some of the health issues found in the study include increased headaches, 53%, difficulty concentrating, 50%, fatigue, 37%, malaise, 42%, and nearly a third of children experiencing more sleep issues than they had previously, and a quarter of children developing new fears. Though the results are concerning, the study did find that 29% of children experienced shortness of breath, 26% experienced dizziness, and hundreds of the participants experienced accelerated respiration, tightness in chest, weakness, and short-term impairment of consciousness. Now, we'll go on and talk about these things, and that there will be people and health professionals saying that... Um, I'm irresponsible to say that. I don't know what I'm talking about. You don't want to dissuade people from doing the right thing. I'm telling you they don't know what the right thing is any more than I do. We each have a right to the science, the studies, and to calling baloney when so-called experts say don't wear any to wear one to wear two to wearing more. Not any one person or side of the political spectrum has a monopoly on what's right for our society, our children, or our adults. A new old kind of conservatism is going to be what's needed to revive the conservative movement and save America, writes Arthur Millick over at Real Clear Policy. America is currently engaged in a regime-level struggle that will preserve or destroy the purpose that has defined it, he writes. He's going to be our guest in the next hour as we dig into that. Rob is in surprise. Hey, buddy. Hey, Seth. Thanks for taking my call, and happy Thursday. You as well, Um, sir. I I hadn't originally thought much about uh, the whole COVID, Governor Noam and Doug Ducey thing. I... But it just sort of came to me, um, you know, as I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Doug Ducey kind of has the same thought process as Christy Noem in that, uh, you know, the masking and the school closures and all that should be uh, done at the local level by responsible people in charge. Is that close? Or is yeah, that I, that's my understanding. Yeah, he, there is no statewide yeah. mask mandate, though he has been criticized for that. And there is no uh, gubernatorial edict on school closings, though he has been criticized for that. That's correct. Okay, yeah, because I was mentioning the bill. It just seems like there's been a big information vacuum going on in Arizona about any potential changes uh, where, you know, lifting mask restrictions, getting kids back in school. You know, for all the right reasons, and I'm I'm totally on board with what Carciani was talking about in his article. Um, I just don't think Arizonans are, I don't know, we're sort of living in limbo right yeah, now. Yeah, no, we are, and, and it's because in part we're, lot, we're not well served by the, lo- the locals who are in charge of those things. So there's a city, right? right? Mean, so there's a citywide mask mandate that comes out of the mayor's office. Where's she been? I don't know. Right, exactly. Schools can yeah. do it by district. Um, where have they been? Uh, where's know. Hoffman been? Where's the superintendent? She's just telling she wants to make the governor make it his problem. There, there, There is no good reason for any of this. This is a lack of leadership at its worst lack levels, Rob. Absolutely. With consequences. With consequences. Yeah, 
That's with the problem. Right. Yeah, with the kids especially. Yeah. Well, think about the parents, too. What if you're a parent? Well, yeah. What if you're a parent? What if you're a single parent or a parent who both parents have to work and your kid has to go home for 14 days because he had a sneeze or can't go to school because the school is – I mean, I don't know how people do it. I don't don't know how they do it If I were Nancy Pelosi, I'd say they should be marching in the streets. But, you know, (laughs) only Nancy's allowed to say that. Uprisings in the streets, yeah. Thank you, Rob. Yeah. I got to anyway, run. I, call back later. Back. Call back Thanks. later. I got to do all this right. interview real quick, okay? All right. All right, brother. You're okay. welcome to call back later. Arthur Millick coming up on the new old kind of conservatism to revive the movement and save the country.